0: Welcome to Sobriety Unleashed, the podcast that helps you master sobriety and change your life. I'm Simon. And I'm Ellen. And today we're joined by Claire Pooley, the author of The Sober Diaries and The Authenticity Project. Thank you for being on our podcast today. Oh,
1: it's a pleasure. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you for asking. we are absolutely thrilled to have you. Um, so I would like you to tell us a little bit about your relationship with alcohol and what led you to um, questioning your relationship. Gosh, well, um, I started really drinking too much um, when I was in my um, early 20s, probably. So quite a long time ago now. And those were the days of absolutely fabulous and Sex in the City and Bridget Jones and the Ladette and all of that sort of stuff. So it was, it really was a wine drinking revolution. And, um, you know, it felt, I felt to me like it was almost like my feminist duty to keep up with the guys and to drink as much as they did, if not more. Um, And it felt like everyone was doing it and, um, and, I, I have to say it was, you know, for quite a long time, it was great fun. <laughs> you know, I worked in the advertising industry for nearly 20 years and we worked hard and we played hard and we had a bar in the office and I had a huge expense account. Um, and the amount I was drinking just gradually crept up and up and up. And my tolerance crept up too. So, you know, I was rarely that drunk. I was rarely, I, I rarely looked that drunk, um, but I could easily drink a bottle of wine without it touching the sides. Um, And then when my third child was born, I quit drinking, sorry, when my third child was born, I quit work um, because I thought that what I would do is is to uh, try and be the perfect mum for a bit rather than doing this ridiculous juggle. Uh, And actually, rather than that making things easier, it made things worse because I really bought into that mummy wine culture. I bought into the idea that, There was wine o'clock as soon as the kids were in bed and that was me time and I deserved it. And uh, I would pour a large glass of wine, which became two, which became three, which is a whole bottle. And by the time I quit, I was drinking a bottle of wine a day and more at weekends. So about 10 bottles of wine a week, I I finally worked out, uh, which was obviously causing quite a lot of major issues in my life.
0: Yeah absolutely I imagine and it does it just creeps up on you did what kind of led you to really start questioning it was it those major issues did you actually start kind of looking at them and and asking questions about your behavior and whether you were compromising your values and so on?
1: Yeah well you know I, I, I did what I think we've all done um, endlessly which is to late at night, often when I'd had a few drinks, I would Google, am I an alcoholic? Yeah,
0: I've
1: done that. <laughs> and it would come up with all those questions, you know, do you drink in the morning? You know, do you uh, drink alone? Um, do you, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I would answer these questionnaires and, and it would say, you may or may not be an alcoholic. And I was like, well, I, I knew that. I wanted to know, am I or not? And I, I guess what stopped me quitting for a long time as I felt like I didn't fit the stereotypical um, view of an alcoholic you know I didn't feel like that was me nobody had staged an intervention nobody had said you know you've got a problem so uh, so I carried on merrily drinking away thinking that it was fine but there was this nagging voice in the back of my head that said you know the fact that you can't sleep at night the fact that you uh, two stone overweight, the fact that you're constantly anxious um, and stuck in a rut and are not a very good mum to your kids, all of that is probably down to how much you're drinking. And eventually I couldn't couldn't stop hearing that voice of of doubt.
0: Yeah, that absolutely resonates with me. I think we've lost Ellen, but I'm sure she'll be back in a minute. We'll carry on for now. (laughs) She was having problems with her Um, wife. I truly believe that we move out of a place of ignorant bliss, then that seed of doubt is planted. And then once that's in our mind, we can never get back to ignorant bliss again. There's only one way. We either, well, we either stay stuck or we take positive steps to move forward. Mm and it's a scary place to be. One of the things that really helped me on my own journey was your book, The Sober Diaries. And I'll never forget reading it, your story about the assault course, it helped me so much. And if I'm honest, I often use that in my own coaching work because I think it's something that people can really relate to. Would you mind just sharing that concept of the assault course? Because I think it will help a lot of listeners.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, what's so amazing is, is I wrote that post um, about eight, eight months into my own, my own sobriety and which was about six years ago now. And that the the obstacle course post still gets um, shared all over the world. So, um, so I, I think I accidentally hit a nerve and, and I just, I wrote it very much on the spur of the moment because as I said, I, I, I was sober um uh, i was I'd been sober for about eight months by by this point and and I was just starting to feel like there was light at the end of the tunnel, and I could see how um I could do this for the rest of my life and suddenly it started feeling so much easier and and you know I felt free and and just sort of like a different person. it was amazing and but there were a number of people who'd followed my blog from you know from the beginning and who'd become sort of virtual friends and they kept um, quitting for two or three weeks and then they would start drinking again and then they quit again and they do a couple of months and then they start drinking again and and they were yo-yoing backwards and forwards which I've done we've all done you know all of us generally who manage to quit eventually have fallen off the wagon a number of times first. So there was no shame in that whatsoever. But what was so frustrating is realizing that they were doing the hardest bit of going sober over and over and over again. And the only, it only starts to get easy when you get to about a hundred days and you just have to keep plowing on until that point. Otherwise you're just making your life miserable. And that was really what inspired this post, The Obstacle Course, because the way I saw it is, you know, I had been living in this uh, field, um, which initially was, was very happy and beautiful and easy. And gradually, gradually, gradually over time, it had got worse and worse and worse. The weather had got worse. The flowers died. The little bunnies that used to live there disappeared. And it got to a place where it was really not a happy place to be. And, and I felt like somebody said to me that there is this other field, some distance away. Um, and and the, back over there, life is as beautiful as it used to be in your field. Um, and you know, I promise you, it's there. You just have to find your way so so what you do is you sort of think yeah okay I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it and you throw yourself at this journey the problem is the journey is not easy it's filled with obstacles it's filled with with ditches and walls and and spikes and all sorts of of things that you have to get through and you throw yourself at the first obstacle with all sorts of gusto and by the time you get to you know, a few days in and a few obstacles passed, you're exhausted and you think, okay, look, you know, I don't, I'm not even sure whether this other field exists and I don't know whether I can do this and I'm tired and I'm fed up. And you go back to your field and you think it can't be that bad. And I'm much happier here than trying to do that bloody obstacle course. But then, you know, again, a few weeks later, things have got even worse and you throw yourself at the obstacle course again. And you keep doing this over and over again until you really believe that that other field exists. And somebody says to you, look, it takes 100 days, just keep going and you will get there. And those obstacles will carry on for 100 days, but they'll get smaller and smaller and easier and easier. And there is no point in turning around and going back to the beginning. You have to keep going in one direction. Um, And... Eventually, you get to this field, and it is just like everybody said, it's filled with bunnies, it's filled with flowers, it's filled with rainbows, and you can't believe that you spent decades in that awful place with all those thunderstorms and, you know, what have you, Um, and you never have to do that obstacle course again. So, yeah, so that is the story of, of the obstacle
0: course. Oh, it's brilliant. It, that, that's such a special moment for me because I remember when I was quitting drinking, reading it, and to hear you actually saying it and explaining it, it really touches me. Thank you so much. And it was the bunny rabbits that kept me going. Honestly.
1: <laughs> well, it's, it's amazing how many people send me little emojis of bunnies <laughs> and they go, I'm here.
0: Yeah, I've made it. <laughs> the rabbits are real.
1: and And the bunnies really are real you know you just have to believe in the bunnies to get through that obstacle course (laughs) that
0: could be a t-shirt believe in the bunnies (laughs) I love that I'm quite an analytical person, and it it worked for me on the basis of hang on, if I keep doing these obstacles over and over, it's actually so much more work than just digging my heels in and continuing to move forward and doing them all once. Mm. It really, really helped me. So, you, you did a TED talk called Making Sober Less Shameful, and you mentioned shame around your drinking behavior earlier. Like, do you think? Attitudes towards sobriety have changed. I tried to kind of label living an alcohol free lifestyle as exactly that, a lifestyle choice, something positive, something empowering. I get the sense that people think it's something cool these days, not everybody. Uh, What do you think about that shame and stigma around sobriety?
1: Yeah I I think things really have changed I mean I quit in 2015 and back then quitting drinking was seen as something really weird you know everybody you know everybody's first question was oh you poor thing do you have a problem and (laughs) and you know you really want to say no don't feel sorry for me feel happy for me you know I'm so much happier now than I was so you know so there's there's no need and there's really no need to feel shame when actually what you've done is something that is is really spectacular for, for you and for your friends and family and and you know everybody who cares about you so you know, so I found it really frustrating and it felt like you know if you told people you quit smoking they'd all congratulate you and if you told them you quit drinking they commiserate with you so it didn't make any sense at all which is why I did the the TED talk but I do think things are changing because especially amongst younger people so you know if you talk to people in their 20s you know a lot of them don't think drinking is cool at all um and you know being sober is starting to be seen as a really positive lifestyle choice and not something that you only do because you have to but something that you can choose to do for positive reasons and that's a immensely good thing I I think it's still I think it's still an issue um, with the um, over 40s um, certainly with the over 50s you know it's still they still haven't caught up with that whole um, sort of sober curious movement um, on the whole but uh, but you know hopefully that will change too and it's certainly changing amongst younger people
0: yeah I couldn't agree more. And you've got three kids. I don't know how old they are but have you spoken to them about alcohol what are their views on it if they're old enough to understand it?
1: Yeah I mean they, they are and the you know now they're teenagers so so my oldest is just 18 and um my middle my son is um is 15 and my little one is is 12 so um so they're at the age where you know, they're starting to go to parties and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I don't stop them drinking and I don't tell them not to drink because I sort of feel like, um, start with they wouldn't listen. They just do it secretly because <laughs> that's what teenagers are like. And secondly, you know, it alcohol is a pervasive part of our society. You can't pretend it's not there. You can't ignore it. Um, but what I do say to them is, look, addiction issues um, you know what i call the sort of tendency to to be all or nothing and and to be very bad at moderating is hereditary so it is quite possible that at least one of my kids if not all of them have an addictive gene and you know, therefore, they need to be even more careful than than you know most kids would need to be um, around things like alcohol. Um, and generally, I tell teenagers to bear in mind three rules. Um, one is don't ever drink alone, um, and the second is try not to drink more than two or three nights a week um, at the most, and the third is try not to drink more than three alcoholic drinks in one session at the most. And if you can stick to those three relatively simple rules, you probably won't end up in the situation that I did. So so yeah, that's what I tell them. Yeah, that's
0: brilliant. And Would you say that your ability to parent has improved dramatically since you quit drinking? Because that's what happened to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, to start with i don't know if you found this but i i found that when i was drinking i was rarely on the same level as my kids and i spent a lot of time trying to escape them so doing things like you know doing um uh, bedtime stories as quickly as i could so i could go and pour myself a glass of wine oh, nice. that, that sort of thing and organizing parties that had the kids off do it in one room doing one set of activities while the adults were all drinking somewhere else, you know, I was always trying to separate myself somehow. And, and I was always, I, I was, I found it very hard to be in the moment because I was constantly waiting for that point where I could, you know, have my me time. Um, So, you know, I would wish away Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, trying to get to Friday, which is a great shame because kids grow up so fast. And I spent so much of their childhood wishing days away. And and when I quit drinking, I was just, I was much more even tempered. I was much more in the moment. I was much more patient. And crucially, I think I'm just a much better role model um, because, you know, I grew up with Parents who drank every day, and they didn't—they weren't drunk, but they—they had, you know, they had some sort of alcohol every day. And I thought that was normal. I thought that's what adults did. Um, And you know, my husband still drinks, but he only drinks at weekends, and I don't drink at all. And I hope that my kids have role models who teach them to drink cautiously and not copiously. (laughs) like
0: I did yeah so much of that's similar like my wife still drinks very occasionally usually at the weekend I feel like my son who's just turned 17 sounds so similar to your kids yeah he's going to find his way I think through my work and my journey he's probably learned something and his eyes are that bit more open but ultimately it's you know down to him and down to him to explore Mm -hmm. But as you said, I think a lot of young people now see alcohol as their parents drug as opposed to something that's cool and trendy. I just don't Yeah,
1: it's, it's it's like that. it's like the Facebook of drugs, I think, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the you know, for our generation, it's it's still you know absolutely the go-to drug, but for for younger generations they see it as a bit old-fashioned and and old hat, you
0: know. Yeah, that's so true. Whereas yeah, vaping and weed are probably the TikTok.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think as well as becoming better parents, we also rediscover our passions and the things that bring us joy in our life. Obviously, you, you write, you've written three books and probably more on the way. And I found that when I started drinking, I stopped writing, I stopped painting and doing the things that I love. What was your experience of that? Were you writing while you drank or did you pick it back up after you quit?
1: Um, no, it's amazing, isn't it? Because alcohol sort of expands to take up so much of your life, it takes up so much time, it takes up so much energy. Um, and, you know, it's, it gets to the stage where it becomes your only activity other than work. And, you know, so, you know, I find that the people i talk to about about alcohol issues you know generally say that they they their passions go by the wayside you know and that was certainly the case with with me so my you know i used to write when i was a teenager i used to love writing and even in my early 20s and then I stopped writing and all I did really was work and socialize with booze and and bring up the kids. You know, I didn't, I didn't, my life didn't have room for anything else. And then after I quit, I had so much more time and so much more energy and so much more headspace. And almost as soon as I quit drinking, I started writing. I uh, initially with the blog, I, I started, Mummy was a secret drinker. And writing became not just, you know, became my therapy. It was my way of of sorting out what was going on in my head. And and it became my passion. Um, And now it's my job. It's my whole career. So, um, yeah, and that happens. I hear those stories over and over again. And often the things that, the thing that people discover, you know, the passion that they discover that fills the hole that alcohol leaves is the same thing that they love doing when they were a child so i often say to people you know think back to when you were a teenager or even younger you know what what really made your heart sing what did you love was it was it sport was it art was it music you know what was it because that thing you can you know you you can so often rediscover now and and then often that thing can become a whole new way of life and a whole new career also
0: yeah that's so true i think it's the thing that where the hours feel like minutes you just get so Mm. immersed into it and we've all got it we just don't look back at it until we've got that clear-mindedness to be able to actually stop and think about it which when our mental bandwidth is occupied with wine every night it just doesn't happen
1: yeah and it's great for your mental health as well because as you say it's it's the it's the activity that that takes you somewhere else. Because, you know, the, you know the expression uh, getting off out of your head. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's what alcohol does. It takes you out of your head. It stops, it stops for a while that those, you know, those little voices in your head, the, the negative voices in your head. And, and it just allows, it gives you sort of, it gives you an escape. And you need something that will do the same thing for you, but in a much more healthy way. And, you know, the Buddhists, Buddhists call it flow, you know, when when you are so immersed in an activity that you are unaware of anything going on around you. And, you know, you can be... I used to find this also when I was painting as, as a teenager. You know, you would feel like you have been doing it for 10 minutes and it was actually four or five hours. Um, and that is great for your mental health because it just gives you a time for your brain to switch off and i find often people who have alcohol issues have what what we call monkey brain you know you have a brain that that finds it very difficult to be still um and and if when you stop drinking you need something else that will still your brain and and writing does that for me
0: it does it do that for you too absolutely yeah and i didn't write the whole time I was drinking. And I used to love it when I was a teenager, just like you. I used to love painting as a teenager, just like you. And I've actually picked my paint brushes up again recently and really rediscovered that passion. And it's such a gift, it really is. No, I love that. I mean, it's just amazing how it opens up those doors. You know, people often think this is just about the alcohol, which it is. But alcohol is just a, a blockage to so many other things and, and really finding out who we are and what we love, which is incredible.
1: Yeah. And and it makes us very lazy. You know, I, I find I mean, the thing I found, the single thing I found the hardest about quitting was socialising um, because, I never really, and apart from when I was really young, I never really socialized without alcohol, you know, and, and actually I realized that where I thought I was an extrovert, I think actually I'm an introvert who masked it with alcohol because alcohol made me extrovert. So I found socializing quite hard initially. And then I realized why, and it's because when you, when you drink, you become very lazy about the ways that you socialize. The only way you socialize is drinks, parties, clubs, maybe restaurants with lots of booze. Um, But that's about it. You don't think about what else might I do with my friends. And, you know, kids don't do that. Kids socialize in all sorts of different ways. And so do I now. So, you know, I've, about four or five times a week, I meet a friend, a different friend for a long walk with the dogs. And, you know, we have great long rambling conversations. And I go to the theater a lot more. I go to the movies a lot more. I go to art galleries. Um, you know, I, there are, socializing doesn't have to just involve standing in a bar with a glass of something. You know, it still can, but, you know, it's, it, there are much more interesting ways to, to see your friends. And I think that's what going sober helps you do. It, it broadens your horizons and it, it broadens your, your, you know, your life experiences.
0: Yeah, I love that. I'd never thought of it exactly like that whilst i have dealt with my sort of social life and it's absolutely transformed since I quit. I hadn't thought of it in that same context around the quality of the socialising. I think that's absolutely brilliant. That's another gem to go in there with the obstacle course. <laughs> well, you know,
1: like my, um, my in-laws are Scottish and they talk about how um, every party has to have a happening and a happening is... Is some event like fireworks or, um, or karaoke or charades or something. And I think in the old days, um, you know, parties used to have a happening. You know, they, they used to be about more than just drinking. And I, I, I think it's a shame that we've, as society, has become so lazy about, about the way that, that we, we hang out with
0: people. Yeah, everything doesn't need to revolve around alcohol.
1: Mm. That's
0: the long and short of it. So I'm interested to know about your writing career, which is obviously incredible. I mean, what what a thing to happen on the back of you quitting drinking. Your first book, The Sober Diaries, as I said, it's absolutely awesome. And it really, really helped me on my own journey. But then you moved from, I suppose, what could be considered a memoir slash slightly self-help book is that probably the best way to describe
1: yeah, it yeah the the publishers call it a memoir but uh but yeah I think I think it it's it also helps people
0: yeah I mean it's not a a book like Alcohol Explained or This Naked Mind where it kind of gives a roadmap to quitting but I think it's so relatable that it inspires people and gives tips throughout the text but you moved from that to becoming a fiction writer and I, I find that interesting, Like, what how what made you take that change of direction from nonfiction to fiction and p- particularly sort of what is that what really lights you up, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. Um
1: Yeah, I mean, if you'd asked me when I was a teenager what I wanted to do when I grew up, you know, I would have said I want to be a novelist. I mean, that was that was my big dream when I was little um, and. But I wasn't, you know, I was never sure I'd actually be able to do it. And um, writing the Sober Diaries just reignited, as, as we discussed, this sort of passion for writing. And I wanted to carry on writing. And apart from anything else, by then it had become my therapy. And I find that if I don't write every day I feel slightly edgy and I feel like something is missing so you know it's it's something I really love to do and I would do even if I wasn't being paid to do it um and uh but you know by this stage by the time I published the sober diaries, my kids were a lot older so you know there were teenagers by then or at least two of them were teenagers and you know I didn't want to if I'm writing about my life, I'm also writing about their lives. And, you know, I got to the point where I thought they they don't want their mum confessing all this stuff, you know, to, to the world and his wife um, in public. And, um, you know, it's not really fair on them. And I, I think I need to, you know, I need to let them have their own privacy. So, I stopped writing about myself, and um, and I thought, well, I'll I'll start writing fiction, and you know, it isn't that different because I still write as therapy. I still write as a way of exploring what I'm interested in. One of the main characters in the Authenticity Project, Hazard, is an is an addict. He's a cocaine and alcohol addict, and we see in the book his transition, you know, from from addict to to vaguely reasonable person (laughs) Um, and uh, so I got to explore the whole journey I've been through through somebody else's eyes which is a really interesting way of doing it actually and it's it's much less exposing and uh, you know but it's still it's still therapeutic and you know I still found it really helpful so um, so yeah so it's not that different and and I think the fact that you know, most of my characters are in some way, shape, or form based on on real experience. Makes them feel authentic. To
0: catch a catch a phrase. Yeah, so it really is authentic. <laughs> Authenticity through and through. Oh wow, that, that's really inspired me. Actually, maybe uh maybe I'll be uh turning. You should.
1: Head, so you should. should be it's best. great. It's great fun. Um, you know, fiction is. The the wonderful thing about writing fiction is that often when you start writing a novel, you don't know exactly where it's going to go. You have an idea of, you know, you have an idea of what the middle might be and what the end might be. But as you start writing your character and you get to know your characters they surprise you and they start doing things you weren't expecting them to do so it's a really magical process actually you know memoir obviously is you know what the beginning
0: middle and end is you lived it (laughs) yeah yeah we already know the outcome that's brilliant and the new books the people on platform five that's out in may next Mm -hmm. year right yeah
1: that's right yeah
0: excellent i've been needing to get myself a copy of that so Obviously, you've got the release of the new book coming up next year. What What are the future plans? Do you Do you plan to con- write more books? Have you got other things in the pipeline?
1: Oh, you know what I've I've sort of learned not to look too far ahead. I think you know I, one of the things I think is really interesting about quitting alcohol is you rediscover your gut instincts. Did you find that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and trust <laughs> it.
1: Yeah, because when when you're drinking, you mask your gut instinct, I think, and you do things that you really sort of at heart know you shouldn't do and you ignore opportunities that you really know you shouldn't have ignored. Um, And when you quit drinking, you find that that gut instinct sort of comes back, the ability to trust yourself comes back. So What I found since I quit is I haven't planned ahead that much. I didn't plan when I started writing Mummy Was a Secret Drinker to be a novelist. It's just one thing sort of led to another, led to another, led to another. And, you know, for once I found, felt that, you know, I was open to opportunities. And when opportunities happened, I knew in my heart whether they were right or wrong for that point in my life and I just went where the opportunities led me and touch wood so far that has taken me to extraordinary places and that's what I'm going to carry on doing so I have no plans for next year I'm going to see what happens
0: that's brilliant I need to take a leaf out of your book (laughs) literally Oh, thank you so much for coming on, Claire. It's been amazing. I mean, you're a, you're a bit of a hero of mine. As I say, your book really inspired me and helped me on my journey. So it's lovely to talk to you. Thanks again for coming on.
1: Oh, well, you're a hero of mine, Simon, because I've just watched you do amazing things with great with great awe and admiration. So thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it.